have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me, please, to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want to share a message with you that I trust will be a blessing. And I believe that there's something here that we all need to consider from out of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 8. And here the Bible says, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Lord, we pray tonight that You would open the eyes of our spiritual understanding. Help us to receive the truth that You have set before us. And Lord, may we not simply be hearers of the Word tonight, but help us to be doers of that Word. And Lord, I pray that in our lives, You may receive the glory and honor. For we ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. As we consider this part of Peter's first epistle, we understand that this whole passage is in response to the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the final part of 1 Peter chapter 2, we see in detail a narrative concerning the suffering of Jesus Christ, and we are admonished to follow in His footsteps. And in view of Christ's death, it gives us some instruction. And so tonight I want to bring a message entitled, The Believer's Life in View of Christ's Death. The Believer's Life in View of Christ's Death. Seeing that Christ has suffered for us, and we are called to follow in His footsteps, it's going to produce something in the life of each believer, and it produces something positive in relationship to the home. And that's what the first 
seven verses of chapter 3 deal with. That, that which the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ has affected for the Christian home. And then we discover, beginning in verse number 8, and all the way down to the end of the chapter, that which the sufferings of our Lord have accomplished and made possible for the church of the living God. And it gives us an admonition about how we as believers and as members in particular of the body of Christ should conduct our lives in view of the death, the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ for us. You know, the Lord Jesus does not call you to go to the cross of crucifixion in a literal aspect, although we know that the Bible says I'm crucified with Christ. I know that spiritually, I was there when Christ died. And, and I, I, that old man was laid upon Jesus at the cross of Calvary. But now what He calls for us to do is to live His life. To live His life. For the one that died for us. And uh, many of you, uh, I've seen in times past wear uh, t-shirts that say, uh, um, He died for you, now live for Him. And you know, that's a profound statement, isn't it? He died for you, and now live for Him. And so, we see that the, the suffering and death of our Savior Christ gives us a perspective that we need to carry on with the life that He's called us to lead. And there are some things from this passage that I want to highlight uh, for you tonight. Those of you that, are, uh, that have logged on and perhaps you have your Bible open there and you have a pen and a pad of paper to take a note or two. And I want you to notice some things with me, if you will. First of all, would you notice character and conduct? Character and conduct. That's what we discover here. Character is something that proceeds from a heart that is right towards God and has a desire to walk in His will and in His way. It's not just moral fidelity. For the believer, it's much more than that. It's a determination to live the life of Jesus Christ. To live out all of the unique and holy characteristics of our Savior Jesus Christ and those are things that the world can only try, seek to try to imitate, but they can never authentically produce those because it is just a manifestation of flesh. Whereas in the life of the believer, it is something that the Spirit of the living God produces in our hearts and then manifests out through us. And so, uh, this character is not just a determination to live a life of moral fidelity. It's really a determination to live the life of Jesus Christ. And what we discover is the Apostle Peter gives us some insight into what the character and the conduct of a Christian will look like. So you see that that character is always going to produce a conduct in the life. It's not just going to be something that is dormant within us. It's not just going to be something that is expressed from our lips. It will be something that is lived out 
in our everyday lives. It will be the very life of Jesus being lived out through you and me. And so what we discover is that in verse 8, the Bible reveals here, finally be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. And I would say to you that what Peter is communicating to us is that the life of the believer as it relates to our relationship specifically within the church, but of course to everyone in our world, is that our, li- our life, especially in the context of church, should be unified. Our lives should be unified around those principles contained within the Word of God. If there are uh, two bro- brethren in the Lord that are in disagreement about something, the truth of the Word of God ought to be able to settle that disagreement. Uh, if there are people that are uh, seeing uh, things differently, we understand having different human perspectives. But in terms of the work of the Lord, we know that the Bible will be the reconciler of all those things that divide the body of Christ. And that's why it's so important to know the Bible and to honor the Word of God as the sole authority of all matters of faith, that's what we believe, and practice, that's how we carry out our belief system. And so, if you were to take uh, the, the Constitution and bylaws of the Freeway Baptist Church, and you were to open it up to uh, the beginning, it would say that the Bible shall be the sole authority for all matters of faith and practice. That means that the Bible is going to be the final word and the ultimate resolver of conflict in every matter of what we believe and in every matter of how we express what we believe. And so we need to understand that the life of the believer in context of the church is going to be one that is unified by those principles contained in the Word of God. It's going to be a loving life whereby that we manifest the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, having compassion one of another. And the Bible tells us in the book of Jude, in verse number, uh, rather, um, in the book of Jude, in verse number uh, 20, and of some have compassion making a difference. You know, uh, that loving compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's love in action, it makes the difference. And you know that it's true what has been said, and that is this, that the world does not care how much you know until it knows how much you care. And so our lives, our character, and our conduct should be characterized by a unity, by love, thirdly, by humility. And that would be uh, bound up in this idea of having compassion one of another, loving his brethren, be pitiful and be courteous. We're going to, in honor, prefer one another. And certainly what is found within this is a spirit of kindness. You know, sometimes I think that that really what's needed within the body of Christ is a revival of Christian kindness, whereby we just stop and we consider the needs of our brothers and sisters in the Lord rather than just being so self-absorbed and taken up with our own problems that we never enter into the pain of anyone else to try to minister to their needs. And 
Henceforth, what happens is that there's no real compassion and kindness that's shed abroad within the body of Christ. And I believe that we have a need for Christian kindness. And I, I know sometimes people think, well, you know, don't just give me the feel-good, touchy-feely three poems, three points in a poem, and, uh, and, and send me away warmed and clothed. The fact of the matter is that we need uh, to get back to some of those things that, that warm people's hearts. You know, every once in a while, people need to come out of the cold of this world and find the, find the warmth of kindness manifested in the life of another believer. I wonder if we were to take a survey of all the people in your orbit that know you well, and they were given the task of naming three characteristics that they believe are the overarching characteristics of your life, what would they be? wonder would kindness even make their top ten list? Compassion? Humility? I wonder what, what they would say. I hope that somewhere along the line, if somebody was called upon to, to, to characterize the life of this poor preacher, that somebody would would have something good to say along the line of what we should be in light of how Christ has suffered for us and how much He calls us to live out His life in this world. The Bible says here in verse number 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. You know, I believe that this means that the believer will learn to take offenses rather than, than taking revenge. I believe that we need to consider what Paul told the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he rebuked the saints for taking other saints to court to sue them. And he asked them a piercing question, and it was this. He said, why do ye not rather take wrong? The truth is, when the Lord was reviled, He answered not again. He, he didn't try to, to rationalize or justify or give a self-defense. And the reality is this, that look, if we have a clear conscience before God, He will in His own good way and in His own good time make everything right. And so we don't have to answer in kind. If someone is rude to us, we should not try to be rude back to them. Uh, last night we were in Romans chapter 12 in our men's Bible study. And in that final portion of Romans chapter 12, a similar admonition is given. And the Bible says that we're to give place unto wrath, for He saith, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, uh, give him uh, to eat. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. These are the things that should characterize every believer in Jesus Christ. I wonder when someone hurts you, when someone offends you, how do you respond? 
Do you feel like you have to retaliate? Do you feel like you have to take vengeance? Do you feel like you have to defend yourself? Do you feel like that you need to uh, take your pound of flesh? I wonder how do you feel about that? Do you answer railing with railing? Do you uh, consider the truth of the Word of God that we're not to respond with evil for evil, having received evil? But rather, what God calls us to do is what He said in the Sermon on the Mount. That we're to bless them that curse us. Bless and curse not. And the Bible tells us there that we're to love our enemies and we're to, and we're to love those that hate us and, and that despitefully use us and say all manner of evil against us falsely for His name's sake. Uh, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And what we understand is that those prophets endure all that and God calls us with Christian grace and love to take the wrong, to be willing to suffer for His namesake, even if that's in the context of the church, without running for the exits and saying, well, if that's how Christians are, I don't want any part of it. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, oftentimes the people that are making those types of declarations uh, need to check their own backyard. Because there's plenty in their own life that would give any number of people reason enough to have a bad taste in their mouth about Christianity. It's amazing. People often, I find, that say things like, well, if that's what their Christianity is like, I want no part of Christianity. Those are the people that typically came to church looking to be offended so that they could have a good reason to leave the church. And the reality, it's not a reason at all. It's just a big, fat, ugly excuse from someone that has no interest in living the life of God. Because if they did, they would understand that fundamentally the believer is called to a ministry of reconciliation and that of calling people to be reconciled to God. But friend, how poignant, how effective will the witness of those be who are called to, to plead with men to be reconciled to God? If we cannot even be reconciled to our brother in Christ... I never find anywhere in the Bible where people are commanded just to leave the church when they've been offended. I do find where people are called to be reconciled and restored. And yet people, they bounce from church to church to church. I remember uh, when we celebrated our 60th uh, anniversary as a church, I picked Dr. Gibbs up from the airport and we were visiting in the, in the, uh, in the car as we drove back to the hotel where he was staying and... Um, uh, he said, you know, how, how are things going? I said, well, uh, we, things are going well. We've lost a few key families that have moved out of the area. And he said, you know, it's amazing to me how many people that I've met in several different churches over the years. He said, they won't stay in the church that they've joined. It'll be a matter of time before they move on to the next one. And very rare is the family that just decides... I'm going to put down roots because of a church. Sometimes it's, I'm going to put down roots because of a job. I'm going to put down roots because of affordable housing. I'm going to put down roots because of a climate. I'm going to put down roots because of a, a tax rate. I'm going to put down roots because it's close to Nana and Grandpa or whatever the case may be. And while none of those things are inherently evil, I find very few people that assign the same value to the church that God does that are willing to say, you know what, I'm just going to put down roots because 
I've been planted in a good church, and God has called me to serve Him in that church until He comes. Let that be you. And so we see character and conduct. Let me say that this life is a life that will seek to honor God in our words, in our thoughts, and in our deeds. The Bible says, He that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil, that's in your heart, in your thoughts, and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. That's the things that we do that bring about unity and peace within the body of Christ. So determine to honor God with every word, with every thought, and with every deed. And you know, if we would, what a great difference that that would make. I want us to notice not only character and conduct, but would you notice with me, secondly, prayer and peace. Prayer and peace. It's amazing how those two words go together, and they do. And the Bible reveals here in verse number 12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Now, down through the years, I'm perhaps like many of you, I've been in church services and heard various preachers preach on the fact that God sees you when you sin. And God's looking at that sin. And, and, and certainly God sees everything. He's omnipresent. And He's omniscient. He sees everything. He knows everything. The reality is a lot of times the the fact that God sees us is used almost as a threat against us. That because God is watching you, you know, you need to be scared to death to live in the fear of the Lord. And, And the fact is, living in the fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God. It's to live uh, knowing that He is an awesome God, awesome in holiness. And He calls us to live out a life of holiness. And as we enter into the presence of a holy God, it should lead us to want to purge out anything that would be displeasing unto a holy God. But understand, my friends, that there is a message being communicated here that is so totally opposite the threatenings of preachers that say God's watching you and God's going to get you. You know, the comfort that is coming from this is related to the reality that God is watching over me. Here we see a peace that comes. Why? The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. It's not that He's He's watching to hold you accountable. No, you know what He's doing? He's watching over you to provide protection, to provide provision, to provide sustenance and grace in the time of suffering and tribulation. That's what God is doing. So the Lord here, His eyes are over us, And not only that, his ears are open unto their prayers. I think it's a peaceful thought to know that God is watching me. He knows wherever I go, and he's looking after me. And I want to say that the Lord that hears us is the Lord that protects us. Let me say that again. The Lord that hears us is the Lord that protects us. And so, we can come to God knowing that He is 
watching over us, to care for us. Not sitting up in heaven watching for us to step out of line so that He can club us with a big stick. Listen, that whole notion that that comes out of Rome, that God is angry, and that Mary has to be there to be a a mediator between God and man because God is angry and she, she calms His angers for you. Listen, that's a bunch of nonsense. God loves His kids. And He's not looking to chastise you in the sense that He delights to to knock you in the skull when you step out of line. The reality is whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. Not whom the Lord is angry at, He chasteneth. Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. So while the Lord is watching out for us, if we step out of order, the Lord will lovingly draw us back. God doesn't punish you for sin because if you got the just punishment for sin, you would have to suffer for eternity in a devil's hell, and that without escape. And let me say that Jesus adjudicated your sin and my sin at Calvary. And He paid the price in full, and He bore witness to that fact by declaring as He died, it is finished. The work of redemption was done. The sacrifice was offered and the price was paid completely in full. The work was done. The battle was over. Peace with God was effected for man. And so, because we have that peace with God and God is watching over His children, we know that we can come boldly unto the throne of grace. We don't have to come timidly with our hat in our hands because now we stand in His righteousness alone. And we can come now boldly under the throne of grace to obtain grace and mercy to help in the time of need. Knowing that the one we're crying out to is watching our circumstance and situation and He's well prepared and fully able to deliver us in our distress. And so there's a peace that comes to the heart because the Bible asks the question, who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Really, who is there that can can hurt the child of God? I'm not talking about just lay some lashes upon your back like they did Peter and Paul. I'm not talking about just the physical harm. Who can really hurt you? You see, the Lord said... In the Gospels, fear not Him who is able to destroy the body, but fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And so we understand that for the believer, (laughs) there is no power that is greater than God that has the ability to truly lay injury to the child of God. And so if we suffer for Jesus' sake, That's not to our hurt, that's to our advantage. Because if we suffer with Him, we also shall reign with Him. There is a a crown that God promises to those who have endured and suffered uh, with Jesus Christ. And so, what we notice is something powerful here. And that is that the God that watches us is the God that hears us. And we can cry out to Him in any distress. But the Bible says... The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. 
And do you know what that literally is telling us? That those that know not the Lord as their Savior have no standing upon which to come to the Lord in prayer. They have no standing. They're not a part of God's family. Uh, They don't have a great high priest in Jesus. They've never trusted Him that they can come boldly to. And their sins have never been purged with blood. And so we understand and know that those who are outside of the faith don't have the ability to come to the Lord in prayer. In, In fact... Sometimes Hollywood tries to put that idea out there and it's, it's just a fallacy that's manufactured in Hollywood. You say, God doesn't answer the prayers of, of, the, of the sinner. Well, there's one prayer that God will answer. There's one prayer that God will answer for those that know not the Lord. And that is, God be merciful to me, a sinner. It's that sinner's prayer where people come believing in Jesus and ask Him to save them. God delights to answer that prayer. And from that moment forward, then they have a standing with which to come boldly to the throne of grace. Before that, they don't have any relationship with the Lord. They don't have any right to enter the sacred place, the holy place of God, and inquire of the Lord to ask God to bless their evil life and existence. You see, a holy God cannot bless unholiness. A holy God, a a righteous God, cannot bless the unrighteous life. Otherwise, He's no longer God. And so the face of the Lord is against them. But, But, you know, the Bible tells us that His ears are open unto the prayers of those that call upon Him. Now, I want to say quickly, Thirdly, if you would notice this, suffering and sanctifying. Suffering and sanctifying. In verse 14, the Bible says, But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, suffering for righteousness' sake is really the definition of persecution. That's what persecution is. Suffering for doing well. Suffering for righteousness' sake. So, if we suffer for righteousness' sake, in the interest of serving our Savior. The Bible says, happy are you. There's a blessing that comes to the life. We have a blessedness that abides us. Understand, this suffering is not fun. But nowhere really in the Bible do we see uh, the, the communication that the life of the believer in this age is ever going to be fun. Now, there are many things about it that are fun. They're joyous. We can have happy times. Uh, there's laughter in our home all the time. There's joy in our home. I, I love watching my grandsons uh, run around the house and cut up, and I laugh, I smile. Uh, we sit around the table, and we, we crack wise with one another, and we talk and laugh, and we reminisce, and there's joy in our household. But you know what? Listen, when we go out into the world, the world hates Christ, and so consequently, they hate His kids. 
And sometimes what we face in this world that's being brought against us, it doesn't even approach something that would be happy or fun. But you know what? We can be blessed to know that God has counted us worthy to endure the suffering of Christ. To enter into the fellowship of His suffering, even as Paul spoke of in Philippians 3.10. And so, what do we do when we're suffering for doing the right thing? When we're afraid because people are threatening us? Well, the Bible says what we do is sanctify the Lord God in our heart. I've preached this passage many times and often my focus has been on being ready to give an answer. And really, the focus should be for the believer at that moment of suffering, sanctifying the Lord God in your heart. Now the word sanctify means to set apart, to set apart for a purpose or to make holy. And so, what does it mean really to sanctify the Lord God in your heart? It means this, that we sanctify our life, our heart, our body. We set apart this body wherever we are. And we sanctify it as a place of worship unto the Lord and of refuge in God. So what I'm doing is when I'm being beset by those that hate Jesus, I, I say, listen, I'm going to sanctify and hallow this ground and sanctify and hallow this moment of time in my heart and I'm going to find refuge in the one that's watching over me and the one that's listening to my cry. And what I'm going to do is in the moment of suffering, I'm going to make my place a temple of worship unto the living God that will demonstrate clearly to a gainsaying world why I am hopeful in the midst of suffering. The Lord desires for us to honor Him in every place and in every situation. And what is required is sanctifying first the Lord God in your heart. Not just give Him a corner of your heart, but sanctify your entire being, all that you are and all that you hope to become unto the Lord your God so that you can take refuge in Him in the moment you're threatened, and in the time that you're suffering for having served Him. He gives us the peace of God in those moments that passes all understanding in the midst of our persecution. And in those times when people say, how can you be so calm? Why are you not more afraid? We're ready to give the answer. It's because the God that is within me is right here with me. He's watching over me and He's blessing me. And I know that there's nothing that can befall me that God hasn't permitted. And though He slay me, yet will I trust Him because there is no evil that can befall me truly 
If you smite me, you cannot threaten me with heaven. I have this hope within me. That is the answer we bring. Not just the answer of a witness, but the witness of why in the face of difficulty we have calm. Why in the face of threats we are at peace. Why in the midst of difficulty we are trusting in a God that we cannot see. Suffering and sanctifying. Lastly, I would say this. Would you notice with me, fourthly, confession and conscience. For the Bible says in the latter part of verse 15, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, don't be braggadocious about the fact that you're this godly Christian that has this transcendent relationship with the Lord and that you're looking down upon all of the unwashed washed masses because you live such a pious Christian life. No. We're to give our answer with meekness. With humility. Confess that the Lord is the one that is giving us the grace that we do not possess. And the Lord desires for us to be filled with His Word to be able to properly confess the reason why we are hopeful in the midst of distress. It's amazing to me how few Christians are really equipped enough with a knowledge of the Word of God to be able to give a credible answer to every man that asks them a reason of the hope that is in them. It's amazing how that many of the naysayers and those that are questioning God, even His existence, can tie a, a believer up in knots because that believer is not versed enough in the Scriptures that they claim to believe to be able to give a credible answer of the reason of the hope that is within them. And so we need to be filled with the knowledge of His Word so that we can properly confess the reason as to why we are hopeful in the midst of a season of distress. And for conscience sake, we need to make certain that the reason we are suffering is for doing well and not for doing evil. It is for righteousness sake and not for having done that which is evil. So, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So if people say something about you and it's not true, then let them say it. Let God be your defense attorney. Let Him be the one to make all that's wrong right. A one verse that stands out in my mind in, in the book of Proverbs I shared with folks on Facebook Live this morning, I think it was, or perhaps it was last night in the Bible study. It's kind of running together now. The Bible says that when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And when you just keep on doing what is right, and day in and day out keep doing what is right, people can say what they will about you. They may even criticize what you were, but they cannot criticize what you are and what you're doing. And before long, you know what? They'll lose spirit in their fight against whatever they perceive about your life. And we understand that what we must 
yearn for is to have a conscience that's void of offense before God and man. You see, when your conscience is clear, the accusations against you could only be false. And God will in His own day bring forth thy righteousness as the noonday. It will become apparent in God's way and in God's time that those accusations are not coming from a righteous source. You know, the devil is the accuser. Jesus is the forgiver. And so when the devil comes at you, be sure that you're walking in God's will and in His way with a conscience clear. God calls us to live a life that's holy before Him. To be willing to suffer for the sake of the One that suffered everything for you. The believer's life in view of Christ's death. Jesus said, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We are to live our lives in such a way that the world knows that there is something different about us. And may the difference be Jesus in us. Lord God, we thank You for the truth of the Word of God, for the comfort You give us in distress, for the peace that You grant us in the midst of tribulation, for the hope that we have of heaven, Lord, for the comfort that we have of an all-seeing, all-knowing God. Help us, Lord, to render our lives back to You as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, knowing that it is our reasonable service. Lord, please help us to meditate upon the truth of Your Word and may it change the course of our lives for this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.